Good morning and welcome to Horizon Community Church. Uh, My prayer for you is that on the other end of this service this morning, that you will truly have experienced the goodness of God and the greatness of God in everything that you do. So a very special welcome to you. Over the last several weeks, uh, Horizon, during these equipping services, has been going through the book of Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophecy from Ezekiel. And so I'd like to ask you to turn in your electronic devices, your copy of the scriptures, to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. And as you're making your way there, I'd like to ask you a question. How is it going with your thinking this morning? Many years ago, early on in my own ministry, I was invited to a pastor and Christian leadership conference in Denver, Colorado, and the featured speaker was a gentleman named uh, Zig Ziglar, uh, the late Zig Ziglar at this point in time. Zig Ziglar uh, was a very successful motivational speaker, and in the process, he made other people successful who came to his seminars. Uh, he tells a story. Uh, a story about a woman who had registered for one of the conferences where he was going to speak, and uh, knowing that he was going to be there, she was going to be there, she called his office almost every single day. And she wanted to talk with him, but his secretary said, uh, no, you can't talk with Mr. Ziegler, he's busy right now, he's traveling right now, and, and every day it was the same question. She said, I want to have a face-to-face conversation with him, he's coming to our town, and I'd like to talk to him. Well, the secretary went to Zig Ziglar and explained what was happening. She said that this woman, she calls every single day. She's very insistent. She she wants to talk to you. And uh, Zig said, well, I'll tell you what what you need to do. Uh, You call her back. You tell her that I'm going to be at the conference, and I will meet with her right before the conference begins backstage. Tell her my time is limited. I only have about 15 minutes, but I'll give her 15 minutes of my time and no more. So the secretary calls back, and sure enough, the seminar uh, begins, and the woman uh, is backstage, and she sees Zig Ziglar on the other uh, side of the stage. And so she walks across, very vigorous in in her walk, and and, and Zig Ziglar, as he tells the story, said, he looks at this woman, and and she seems like a woman who is unhappy, uh, very sad, and very, very angry. Before she ever stood in front of him, she started to talk. And she said, Mr. Ziegler, I've been trying to get an appointment with you. I've been unable to talk with you, and I'm very unhappy about that. I want you to know my life is miserable, and I need some help. She said, I hate my job. I hate the company that I work for. I don't like the people that surround me. She said, not only that, I go to my parents and my siblings, and I tell them what's going on, and, and they don't want to give me the time of day. Zig Ziglar was able to speak right at that point in time, and he said, ma'am, he said, I have some more bad news for you. She says, what's that? He said, you're about to be fired. He said, she said, why am I going to be fired? And he said, there's no company on the planet that has enough space for all the poison that's coming from you. That's when Zig Ziglar said, here was a woman who was inflicted with stinking thinking. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before. Do you know anybody in your realm of existence who is afflicted with stinking thinking? Do you ever look in the mirror every once in a while and think that maybe there's someone on the other side who's facing some of the same things? If so, if you know anyone like that, 
If sometimes you fall prey, because I know I do, then I have good news for you this morning. And the good news is found in this chapter of the Bible that you turned to just a moment ago, Ezekiel chapter 18. Now, when we come to Ezekiel chapter 18, I I want you to see that this passage is truly talking about thinking. Now, I want to encourage you to do a couple of things before we look at this text. First of all, uh, you may or may not know that here at Horizon, there's an exploring service. Over the last several weeks, uh, Chad and Doug have been taking uh, the people through uh, a study. Uh, In fact, the study is called... uh, Uh, Fine Wine, and sometimes I forget the subtitle of that, but it's called Fine Wine, Turning Sour Grapes into a Lasting Legacy. Now, if you're interested in how people think, how you think, and how you can think and act in such a way that it will impact the people around you, you want to go to that series. Take a look at it online and and listen to it, and I want to encourage you because you will be enriched if you do so. Now, that's the first thing I want you to do. The other thing I want you to do, as we come to Ezekiel chapter 18, it's important for us to have a little bit of background if we are going to understand what this chapter is all about, especially as we understand how it's addressing human thinking. For example, one of the things we need to understand is the author, the author of the book of Ezekiel, the author of Ezekiel chapter 18. In fact, you get a little bit of a glimpse into who this person is if you were to look at Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 17, because the prophet talks about his calling, uh, who he is, and, and what God wants him to do. Now, now listen to just this one verse, Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 17. It says, Son of man, I have made you, listen to the next word, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. Give them warning from me. Now, a watchman was the kind of person in the ancient world who would live in a city. Usually it was a walled city. The walls were very, very high. And at the top of the wall, there was a place where someone or several people could walk around and people would be posted there and they would be identified as watchmen. And a watchman would give a warning. In fact, that's what Ezekiel was supposed to do. He would give a warning to the people of Israel. And so a watchman would see... a a band of marauders and coming in one direction. He would see an enemy force in another direction. He'd begin to shout to the people inside of the city and he would tell them to take cover or to prepare for battle. He was to warn them, to alert them in terms of what was happening. And this is what Ezekiel is doing. Throughout this entire prophecy, he is warning his readers, warning his listeners. So make note of the author. It's important background information. Second thing that you and I will want to make note of is uh, the audience. Who is the audience? At this point in time, in Ezekiel chapter 18, it is the people of Judah specifically who have been carried off into exile uh, into the land of Babylon. They have been captured and they're going to spend 70 years in Babylon because of choices that they have made in their relationship with the living God. In fact, while they are in Babylon, they begin to think. They not only begin to think, they begin to say what they're thinking, and they begin to talk about, here is why we are in the mess that we are in. The only problem was, (laughs) they had the wrong idea about why they were in the mess that they were in. So it's important for you to make note of the audience in terms of what they were experiencing and what they were thinking. 
The other thing that you and I need to understand about Ezekiel chapter 18 is its aim. And I've already said to you that uh, this chapter is talking about thinking. And you're probably saying, if you're glancing at the text, Shields, where in the world did you come up with the idea that this passage is talking about our thinking? I'll tell you why. Would you notice in Ezekiel chapter 18, especially the first verse, who is talking? Now, you might say it's Ezekiel, but, but notice what is said. The word of the Lord. So it's the Lord who is talking. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying. Now, there's an important word there. It came to me again. came to me again. God had already been speaking. He had been already speaking through Ezekiel. And he was coming another time to confront the people about what they were doing and specifically about what they were thinking. Hold on. I, I hope I can substantiate that. If you were to uh, drop down, you will notice that God says, as I live, says the Lord God. Uh, there's something that you need to know because I'm speaking to you. I am the living God. I, I want you to understand that. And then would you move all the way over? to verse 27 of this chapter. And here's what's being said. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he com uh, committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself because he considers, notice that word considers, he considers or he thinks and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Now, just a, another point about the audience and what Ezekiel is trying to do here, what his aim is. The people were thinking something very different from that. They didn't think that a wicked man should be able to turn and to act and think in a certain way. So that's why in verse 30 we read these words. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Now, here's the word, very important word. Don't miss it. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. If you're not opposed to doing anything in your Bible, like underline, you might want to underline that word repent, repent. The word repent, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, has the idea of somebody changing their mind. In the New Testament, it's changing your mind about who the person of Jesus is. Here, Ezekiel is saying, I want you to change your mind about what you're thinking, and I want you to think something very, very different. Now, that leads to a, a conclusion, to a point. If you remember anything about what I'm about to say, you want to remember this. If you want to take anything with you into the rest of your life, this is what you will want to take with you. Here it is. In order for us to turn from negativity, we need to keep thinking the truth. We need to keep telling ourselves the truth. If we're going to get beyond destructive thinking in our lives, we need to keep moving in the direction of renewing our minds over and over again. Now, that's the point that I want you to hear, but we need to ask another question. So, okay, what would I be doing if I were in the process of changing my thinking, telling myself the truth, renewing my mind? What would I be doing? Three things that I want you to see from this passage. Here's the first thing. If you and I are moving beyond negativity and we're going to be renewing our minds, if we're going to keep telling ourselves the truth, we must tell ourselves the truth about individual responsibility. 
And the point that God is making in this passage is that everybody has individual responsibility. But here's the problem. Many times, instead of taking individual responsibility, we look around and we blame other people. Uh, Carol and I, we were staying at a hotel last night, and um, this morning we get up and grab something to eat. And in, in the dining area, it was interesting because there was a family there, a rather large family. And they were talking about yesterday's football games. And apparently, some of their favorite teams lost. <laughs> and you could hear the people in the family were talking about why they lost. And it was the coach's fault. He, he didn't make the right calls or... Uh, the ground conditions in the game, they were bad, they weren't right, or uh, the refs made some bad calls along the way. We're, we're inclined to do that, to blame other people when things don't go the way we want them to go. Or take um, political campaigns. Well, I won't go very far in this one. We, we've had enough of that for, for this year, haven't we? But whenever a candidate loses, one of the things the candidate will do, they will congratulate the winner, and then they'll begin to reflect and say, it happened because someone said this, or someone did that, or we didn't have enough money, or it was this certain constituency that worked against us. It's always someone else that we're ready to blame, and we do that on an individual basis as well. Now, that's what was happening in the community of Israel, the people of Judah who had been taken off into Babylon, they were blaming other people. Let me explain. Notice what Ezekiel writes for us in verse 2. What do you mean, this is God speaking again, when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel? Now, Chad and, and, and Doug have been using this proverb in their series on, on, on fine wine and uh, showing how it was used then and how it was complicated. And, and let me explain some more. What do you mean whenever you say this? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Interesting proverb. It basically means something like this. The father does something and the children come along and they begin to have the side effects of that. They begin to have certain things happen to them because of what the fathers did. Now, you can understand why the people of Judah would have thought this way. Because they knew what the Torah said. They knew what the Torah said, for example, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5, and again in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 9. They knew that it said something like this, that the sins of the fathers will fall on the next generation. In fact, for several generations that will happen. And that was a principle. That, that was a truth. What it meant was that if a parent lives a certain way, and if a parent... Uh, commits certain sins, you can count on the fact that the children will probably reproduce those sins in their own lives. That, that seems to be a, a likely consequence of what would take place. But God comes along and says, wait a minute, you're, you're applying this and you're basically saying you are in captivity today because of what your forefathers did. Notice what God says. Verse 3. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. He's basically saying, stop it. <laughs> Don't use it again. Don't say that. Don't think in that way. And then we read why in verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. What does he mean whenever he says, all souls are mine? Basically, God is saying... Every individual is accountable to me. 
Don't blame anyone else. You have individual responsibility and your responsibility is to me. I want you to notice what what God is doing here. He's basically saying, here's a problem. You're, You're thinking in a certain way. It's wrong. Stop it. In fact, here's the truth. He's going to be talking about the truth in the rest of Ezekiel chapter 18. And then he says, what you want to do, you want to begin to think in the proper way. So stop what you're thinking. Identify what it is. Here's the truth. Now you begin to act on the truth and you live it out every single day. Let me give you an example. Last Sunday, um, I was invited to speak in a church not far from our home. And so Carol and I, we got up early in the morning and we got dressed and had kind of a leisurely breakfast, and um, then we got in the car, and I thought I had given myself plenty of time to get where we needed to be. And as we're driving along, I thought it's going to be probably about a 20-minute drive. I happened to look up on, on the dash of our car, and we have one of those little digital clocks in our car, and the clock said 1117. And all of a sudden, my heart started to pound. I thought, oh my goodness, we're, we're late. I, I thought I was watching my time. How could this possibly happen? And I looked at my watch. Do you know my watch had a different time than the, the time on the digital clock there? And all of a sudden, it occurred to me. <laughs> Wait a minute, we had a change in time. The fall back, you know, you fall back an hour. And I thought, Wait a minute. <laughs> Everything is okay, but, but it bothered me that that clock said that I was late. And I pulled over to the side of the road when there was a nice space there. I said, Carol, get out the owner's manual. Very carefully, she got the owner's manual out, and we started looking at it. Clock, clock, clock. And how do you set the clock? And I had to set the clock in order to have the right frame of mind. I know it sounds silly, doesn't it? But here's what's happened. You come to a point and you say, wait, wait a minute, that's not right. That's not doing me any good. You begin to embrace the truth, here's the right time, and then you begin to act in accordance with the truth, with the right time. Now, we do that all the time. And I'm encouraging you to think about the fact that there are thoughts that you embrace almost every single day. Thoughts about spouses and children and fellow employees and in-laws. Whoever it might be, we begin to think all of these things. And God comes along and says, wait a minute, this is not doing you any good. Stop thinking in that way. Embrace my truth and then begin to act on that truth. And you know where God's truth comes from? It comes from his word. That's why you're in a good place this morning. That's why you're in a good place every Sunday when you come here to Horizon. You hear the truth of God's word and you begin to appropriate that to your life to become the person and the thinker that God wants you to be. You see, to get beyond negativity, that you and I need to keep thinking the truth. We need to keep pursuing actions that will renew our minds so that we are thinking God's thoughts after him. How do we do that? We need to think properly about individual responsibility. We all have it before God. Second thing we need to do. We need to keep telling ourselves the truth with respect to, listen to this phrase, moral consequences. We need to think the truth about moral consequences. Here's why I say that. Because a lot of times, when we think about the choices that we make, we think it really doesn't matter. Oh, it might impact me, but it really doesn't matter to anyone else. So we make basically two assumptions about our choices, our moral choices specifically. We think that, well, it doesn't really make a difference. I guess I'm going to do this because I... 
I guess this is what God wants me to do, but, but it won't affect anyone else. That's wrong thinking. Or we make the assumption, I'm going to go ahead and do this, and even though other people might consider this a wrong thing to do, I'm going to do it anyway, because it really doesn't matter. They'll get over it after a period of time. Thinking specifically of a man, he and I served together on a church staff, and it came to my attention that this man was making a decision. He was making a decision that he was going to leave his family. And it devastated a lot of us. And uh, a couple of us went to him and we said, uh, listen, uh, d- just just slow down for a moment. You don't need to do this. And, and we said to him, if you do this, it's going to have a powerful negative impact on your children. And here's what he said to us. He said, I don't care. I'm not living like this anymore. And besides, my children will get over it within a couple of months. And he went ahead and made his decision, thinking that wouldn't have any consequences in anyone else. His daughter and his youngest son walked away from the faith. And a middle son, up to this very day, still struggles. He still trusts in God to a certain degree, but he has thoughts. He, he wonders, why in the world did my dad make this decision? I'm telling you that. Because we make moral choices, and every moral choice has a consequence. Now, Ezekiel talks about this. In what way? Ezekiel does a couple of different things. I want you to notice that the first thing that he does, he pulls up, he presents to his readers, to his listeners, what I'm calling a moral code. Now, what he'll do is he'll use that moral code in three different contexts. He'll use it with a man, and then he'll use that same moral code with the son of that man, and then he'll use that moral code with the grandson of that first man as well. And he'll show that consequences relate to individual responsibility and they have an impact. Now, here's what the moral code does. I want you to notice, first of all, that this moral code says something about worship. Look at verse 6, 6a. If he, that is this man who's going to make a choice, if he has not eaten on the mountains nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel. Meaning by that, the northern kingdom was primarily an idolatrous kingdom and some of the people in Judah, with the passing of time, they went up on the mountains and they bowed down to the gods of the northern kingdom of Israel, not to Yahweh. And uh, Ezekiel is saying, if this man worships properly, if he worships Yahweh, all will go well with him. And notice something else. There's another dimension of this moral code. Verse 6b, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, nor approached a woman during her impurity. He's talking about proper sexual conduct. So this person will follow a moral code related to worship, a moral code related to sexual conduct. There's a third aspect to it in verses 7 and 8. If he has not oppressed anyone, but has restored to the debtor his pledge, has robbed no one by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry and covered the naked with clothing, if he has not exacted usury nor taken any increase, but has withdrawn his hand from iniquity. In other words, he's shown justice, he's shown goodness, he's been generous to other people. So the third aspect of the moral code has to do with generous stewardship. And then the last aspect is in verse 8b through 9. And exercise true judgment between man and man. If he has walked in my statutes and kept my judgments faithfully, he is just. So there's the moral code. 
has to do with worship, has to do with sexual conduct, has to do with generous stewardship, and has to do with justice. So Ezekiel is raising this moral code. Now he says, if someone follows this, one of two things will happen. If he disobeys it, I want you to notice what he says will happen. We see it, uh, first of all, in verse 13, with a son who chose not to obey it. At the end of verse 13, it says, he shall surely die. You see that phrase? He shall surely die. It says that two times in the passage. When you disobey God's moral guidelines, he says this person will die. Now, on the other side of that, he says, if someone chooses to follow my moral code, here is what will happen. We see it at the end of verse 9. He shall surely live. Do you see that? Or drop down to verse 17. He shall surely live. Now, what's the point in all of this? Ezekiel is saying, when you follow God's guidelines, something good will happen to you. If you disobey those guidelines, something bad will happen to you. Now, I have to say one other thing about this. Ezekiel uses the phrase life or he uses the phrase death. Now, here's what happens. Most of the time when we read that, we bring things from the New Testament back into the Old Testament. and We say, well, he's talking about eternal life or he's talking about eternal death. That's not what Ezekiel is talking about. See, if you were to go back to the Torah, especially the uh, last three or four chapters of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses is giving the law all over again a second time to the people. And as he does so, he basically says to them, if you keep my commandments, here's the word, you will be blessed. There's another word you can insert there. If you keep my commandments, you will have life. You will have life in the land. But if you disobey my commandments, you will die. You will have cursings upon you. So what Ezekiel is talking about, he's saying you need to keep thinking the truth about moral consequences because moral consequences can either bring you life, blessing, or they can bring you cursing in your life. They can bring you disaster. Now, let me come at this from one other side yet again. Carol and I know a young woman. I'm going to call her Annie. Uh, Annie uh, was born into a family that um, had a lot of problems. Uh, the mother had um, some very serious uh, mental problems. Uh, she abused drugs and alcohol, so much so that the uh, Department of um, Children and Family Services had to come in and take Annie out of that home. And the good news is that they took Annie and they put Annie in a loving Christian home. And she thrived in that home. Uh, there are other children in the home, five other children in the home, and, and Annie started to thrive. And the parents, they loved her, and they nurtured her, and they started calling her their daughter. And the Department of Children and Family Services said, you can stay here as long as you want. And so she went all the way through high school in that family, and she thrived. Came time to go to college, and she wanted to go to college. Very bright young girl, and so she started to apply for scholarships. And uh, she ended up... Uh, going to uh, a school uh, on a scholarship, and she graduated with honors. And after graduating with honors, people would say, well, Annie, what do you want to do with your life? And Annie said, you know, I think I'd like to be a lawyer. But I don't have enough money to go to law school. And somehow she learned that the Army <laughs> would underwrite her legal education if she would just go and then serve with the Army for a few years. And Annie went off to law school, full-page scholarship. And she thrived. She graduated again with honors. 
started serving her tour of duty, went to Afghanistan for a period of time, went to Iraq for a period of time serving as a lawyer. And then she started to come back to the States, and, and things were going well. She was doing well. And so all of a sudden, uh, she started to say to herself, listen, I've, I've done well in life, but I keep asking God, well, won't you bring a man into my life? I'd like to be married someday. I'd like to have some children someday. And it wasn't happening. She felt as though God wasn't answering her prayers. And so she said, I'll take things into my own hands. And she started going out on the dating scene, and she dated anybody who was interested in her. And you can only understand where this story is going to go. And it wasn't very long until Annie got pregnant. And now, all of a sudden, her life is turned upside down. Now, I have to say something very quickly. Her life is not over. God's grace is still involved in her life. But I'm telling you that story for this reason. Because sometimes people begin to say, Ah, I've had enough with this. I, I don't have to follow these guidelines. Doesn't really matter. Who really cares? Won't make a difference. I don't know what you're thinking right now. I, I don't know what you're facing in your life. Maybe there's something in your mind that no one else knows about. But God knows. And God says, hey, listen, here are my ways. Here's my moral code. If you follow my moral code, I will bless you. I'll give you life on this side of eternity. But if you don't, you'll have to pay the consequences. So to get beyond our, our negativity, keep thinking, keep moving in the direction of truth. Keep renewing your mind so you can think God's thoughts after him. That means we must think properly, correctly about individual responsibility and we must think properly, correctly about uh, a moral code, moral ethics, moral consequences. One other thing, and perhaps it's the most important thing that I'm going to say this morning. You and I must also begin to think properly about God's love. What do you think about God's love? What do you think about God's love in your life and God's grace in your life? Some of you are going to answer in a variety of different ways. I'm sure you've heard of the great reformer, Martin Luther. Martin Luther turned Europe upside down. His teaching, his thinking influenced commerce. It influenced law. It influenced philosophy. And certainly it influenced the church. And Martin Luther used to preach about the love of God and the grace of God. On one occasion, he shared with a friend. He said, you know, I talk about God's love with... Uh, the congregation that I serve. I tell my students about God's love. I tell everyone about God's love. But some days I get up and I wonder if God loves me. I'll be honest with you. There have been some occasions in my life where I've said, God, you really love me. You seem to be blessing this person. Why am I not being blessed? But we need to think properly about God's love. Now, here's what was happening with the exiles, they were beginning to say, uh, God, uh, God is wishy-washy. Uh, God isn't consistent because what he should be doing in conjunction with Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5, he should be judging these people who sin, including their children and their grandchildren. And notice how Ezekiel responds to that. Verse 19. Yet you say, <clears throat> why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the Son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them, he shall surely live. He shall surely be blessed. Or drop down to verse 21. 
But if a wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. You know what God is saying? I'm a gracious God. I will forgive a person who violates my moral code. Or drop down to verse 27. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Three times in that section from verse 19 all the way through uh, verse 32. He's talking about God's grace. God's saying, I will forgive the person who violates my commands. His grace is abundant. And because you and I fall prey to this uh, whole process where we drift into negativity and we say, oh, God doesn't care about me. God doesn't really want to help me with, with things that I'm experiencing in my life. Do you know what we need to do? We need to go on a God hunt. If you have not yet developed the discipline of daily scripture reading, I would encourage you to do it. In fact, Carol and I um, recently started uh, reading through the Bible chronologically. And so we have a guide. We downloaded this from the Internet. You can do that. You can simply uh, search out different Bible reading programs, and you'll find a whole slew of them out there. But this one is chronological, and so we have to read about three or four chapters every day. And, and we do that, and we do it primarily for the purpose of saying, what is God like? <clears throat> I would encourage you to do the same thing. Engage in daily Bible reading. Take your, your Bible with you. Take your electronic device with you so that you can go to the Scriptures and you can read and you can reflect upon the person of the living God. Something else you can do in a God hunt. And that is, take some time simply to reflect and say, where has God blessed me? <laughs> he blesses us sometime with a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset. He's blessed us with wonderful, encouraging people around us. He blesses us with a good church. He blesses us with provisions several times throughout the day. And the list goes on and on and on. And every time you catch yourself seeing those things, oh, that's from God, that's from God, that's from God. Thank Him. Even if it's in the quietness of your own mind, thank Him. Thank Him. Because we need to think properly about the goodness and the grace and the greatness of God. N.T. Wright is a British theologian, pastor, scholar, and uh, he's traveled here in the States in different times. And um, on one of uh, his trips to America, he met a young man who was telling uh, his story to N.T. Wright. And N.T. Wright has relayed to this story to other people. And it's a story about a man who went off to the university. And while he was in the university, just so happened he went to a Christian group and he heard the gospel and he was saved. <laughs> and he thought, how in the world am I going to go home and tell my family? But he goes home and he says to his family, uh, listen, I, I, I've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and has changed everything. And his mother, she kind of screeched and she said, you've been brainwashed. And he looked at her and he said, mother, if you would have known everything that was in my mind prior to this point in time, you would have known that my brain needed washing. <laughs> and that's true for all of us. Our brains need washing. May God the Spirit, through His Word and through His strength, cleanse us 
and wash us with his truth so that we will think his thoughts after him. Father, would you guide us and direct us today in all that we do? Would you empower us? Would you remind us? Would you encourage us by your spirit to pursue your word and to know you as we have never known you before? And so we lift these prayer requests up to you, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're visiting for the first time and would like to know more about Horizon Community Church, there will some, be some people out in the hallway near the uh, hearth room. They would count it a great privilege to share with you about this wonderful faith community. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.